Unlock the power of your mind. This is Provocative Enlightenment with Eldon Taylor. Welcome and thank you for joining us today. The next two hours are devoted to learning something more, not just about the world of shoes and chips and sealing wax, as my pretty bride likes me to say, but about how, what, and why we believe as we do. A time for the open-minded, willing to challenge some of those old ideas behind what we think we know and who we might become. In today's episode, we're going to once again examine how we break through self-imposed limitations. Limitations that hold us back, keeping us stuck when there is so much more that we want to experience in our lives. We will examine the questions then, who we are, where we want to be, and how we can go about accomplishing that objective. And once more, we'll use the real-life story of a famous and successful person to help us map our path. So the question, how did I get where I am and how do I get where I want to be, becomes once again our central inquiry in this episode of Breaking Limitations. I'm Eldon Taylor, and this is a Provocative Enlightenment special investigation. All right, our chat room is open, and my partner Ravinder awaits you there now. You can log on by going to provocativeenlightenment.com forward slash chat. Okay, Rav, it's time for you to tell us all about your chat room and why everyone should join you there. You want to come because it's a great place to hang out, have a cup of tea, enjoy the conversation, and compare notes. Uh, if you have time, you can always go back and look at the um, the text from the previous week's chat room, and you can see last week, you know, we got very philosophical in the chat room, you know, some great discussions going on there, so... It's definitely a cool place to be, so come join me. That's at provocativeenlightenment.com forward slash chat. You often even have some of your guests drop into the chat room during breaks, don't you? We do, definitely. All right. Every week we feature a spotlight segment, and in this week's Spotlight of the Week, our investigative reporter Robin Wolfsberger brings us the inside story on what WikiLeaks called the Secret Trans-Pacific Partnership, or TPP Agreement. I know, when you hear TPP, you're thinking bathrooms and toilet paper. thinking toilet paper, I'm sorry. Okay. (laughs) According to WikiLeaks, the TPP is the largest ever economic treaty encompassing nations representing more than 40% of the world's GDP. The WikiLeaks release of the text comes ahead of the decisive TPP Chief Negotiator's summit in Salt Lake City, Utah. The chapter published by WikiLeaks is perhaps the most controversial chapter of the TPP due to its wide-ranging effects on medicine, publishers, internet services, civil liberties, and biological patents. Significantly, the released text includes the negotiation positions and disagreements between all 12 prospective member states. The TPP is the forerunner to the equally secret US-EU Pact, also known as the Transatlantic Trade and Investment Partnership, or TTIP. We get a little further from the bathroom then, don't we? (laughs) For which President Obama initiated the United States Eastern, uh, the EU negotiations in January 2013. Together, the TPP and the TTIP will cover more than 60% of the global GDP. Now, WikiLeaks continues. 
Since the beginning of the TPP negotiations, the process of drafting and negotiating the treaty's chapters has been shrouded in an unprecedented level of secrecy. Access to drafts of the TPP chapters is shielded from the general public. Members of the U.S. Congress are only able to view selected portions of treaty-related documents in highly restricted conditions and under strict supervision. It has been previously revealed that only three individuals in each TPP nation have access to the full text of the agreement, while 600 trade advisors, lobbyists guarding the interest of large U.S. corporations such as Chevron, Halliburton, Monsanto, and Walmart are granted unfettered privilege access to crucial sections of the treaty text. Close quote. So is this true? Should we all be concerned? I mean, you know, biological patents, those are like patents on DNA. According to our investigative researcher, Robin Wolfsberger, there is nothing to be worried about. This is a good treaty opportunity that will probably never be passed by Congress, and if it were, the treaty would mean a huge benefit to the U.S. economy. Okay, now perhaps that's true, but in my opinion, it is still troubling that companies like Monsanto, who love to push their GMO agendas on everyone, should have an insider role in establishing trade criteria. Trade criteria that affects 60% of the global GDP. It's akin to giving the fox shepherd duty over the hens in the chicken house. Indeed, it's just another gotcha. Your thoughts on that, Ravinder? You know, quite frankly, if you'd asked me this same question the same time last year, I would have said, that's interesting. The Monsanto aspect would catch my attention. You know, that would get my ears pricked up a little bit. Um, but I would, I would simply dismiss the information, just as I did, you know, when you had the Julian Assange and WikiLeaks, that whole thing. You know, I was all against that. It's like, how could you betray our country in that way? But since reading Gotcha and you discover... There's not only these two stories, but there are hundreds of these kinds of things where our freedoms are being taken away from us. We think we live in America. It is the freest nation on the planet. And you know what? It isn't. And it's going, and it's going faster and faster. And because we are not feeling the impact personally right now, we just, you know, there can be stories that come up and we think they're interesting, we can object to them, but we want somebody else to deal with it. It's time we all took this stuff really seriously. This is a really serious story. Um, it needs a whole lot more coverage. And, uh, yeah, if I hadn't have read Gotcha, I wouldn't have, I swear that book has changed my life and it's really it's kind of frustrating, but on the other hand, you cannot be awake and put your head in the sand at the same time. But now you're talking about gotcha. You, you need to clarify that the book isn't even available yet. It isn't due no, out from here. No, but I'm on my third August. round of edits for the book, and, you know, it's it still absolutely fascinates me. I mean, but it's you hard. also read Mind Programming, and that gave you, a, you know, kind of a foundation to go into this. But it, it was a very different direction. You know, there it's all about... Um, how you can empower yourself. I don't know. It's 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 a different book. I, yeah. Okay. It, it, is, it is just a really different book, and I cannot recommend 
Gotcha, highly. I don't, I mean, I can't recommend any of your books highly enough, but Gotcha is just, it's different. That's all I can tell you. And, you but know. you have to wait till August of 20, 2014 before the book is released. Oh, I think we'll be doing little bits, uh, you know, on it beforehand. You know, we've got a whole bunch of stuff in play here because, you know, this isn't a book that closes. It's not a book that comes to an end. The story carries on and, we will be working on that and looking for every, to everyone for their contributions. Okay, more gotchas to come, it looks like. All right, every week I read some of your letters as our way of paying respect to the very important role you play in making this show successful. Last week our show featured two wonderful guests, both of whom spoke about the power to change. Our first guest was Dr. Christian Inescu, and our second was Dee Dee Mercer Moffat. Jane wrote, really loved your last show. Your two guests complimented each other nicely. The doctor with his revelation in uh, Revelation via Intertalk, and Dee Dee with her mood-altering butt kick. Such fun. Mark wrote, I enjoyed the show and chat room today. I could make many comments, but I'll stick to two. To paraphrase, I liked what Dr. Inescu had to say about how our faculty of reason, while very useful in the areas of science and physical knowledge, does have its limits in addressing some personal issues, and how focusing on spirit can bring us an additional understanding and resolution to an issue. I liked how Dee Dee Mercer Moffat shared her personal story of addiction to alcohol and the difficulties she had in overcoming it. I never would have guessed that she had such an addiction based on her positive approach to life. Larry wrote, I really liked how Dr. Inescu questioned himself to make his discoveries and learn more about the meaning of life. Margie wrote, I love how both of your guests used Inner Talk to bring the magic into their lives. It has brought much magic into the lives of my family, and we are grateful. Thank you for the work you do, Dr. Taylor. Erica wrote, Okay, 2014 so far has been about listening to my body. I asked my body, What can I do to make it feel better and stronger? And it said this, among other things, Listen to Inner Talk Quantum Younging by Eldon Taylor. (laughs) I highly recommend his programs, and he's got a lot of them. I love it. That's a great one, isn't it, Rev? It is, and I totally uh, second that comment on quantum younging. It's a, it's a great program for uh, feeling younger and therefore becoming younger. I listen to it fairly regularly as well. All right. City wrote, it's great to know that some side of yourself that you don't really like can easily be eliminated by just listening to inner talk. I wish I knew about the inner talk earlier. So he wrote, hello, Eldon, I have had your book for years, along with every other self-help book there is, but I now realize that I have just been desperately searching without really listening, switching from one idea to another. I'm not a very clever person. My memory is poor and has been all my life. This has held me back. Since finding you again, I realize that I have been weighed down with fear and stress all my life. This is going to be a new journey for me, and I'm sticking to inner talk this time, and I'm looking forward to enjoying life for the first time. Thank you so much. Arthur wrote, I've been listening to Ultimate Personal Power from the book I bought, Choices and Illusions. I feel better every day I use it. You know, now Arthur is referring to an inner talk program that comes free with my new revised Choices and Illusions. If you haven't secured your own copy yet, I noticed today that it's on sale at Barnes & Noble, as well as Amazon, and it's cheaper than just the CD, book and CD. A lot cheaper, actually. Pam wrote, I love inner talk. I've been able to reach a level of relaxed beingness and disengage from expectation of attachment to outcome. 
P.D. Road. Hello, Eldon and Ravinder. In the first hour of your show today, you mentioned a free program for people who've been diagnosed with cancer. I can't seem to find it on your provocative enlightenment site. Now, for all of you, that's my error. I should have directed you to our Intertalk site for the free program. Just go to intertalk.com, that's I-N-N-E-R-T-A-L-K.com, and select free programs from the left-hand navigation pane. Why is it you don't have free programs on provocative enlightenment there, webmaster? I don't know. I'll have to go check that out. Okay. Apologies, everybody. And Vicky wrote, I just want to let Eldon know of the fantastic results I've had with three of the many CDs I have purchased. It's only been a few weeks since we started using them. I have seen dramatic results already. My hubby has been using the Stop Snoring CD and already his dangerous and raucous snoring levels have almost stopped. He doesn't wake up with a raw throat anymore. I used to hear him from the other end of a large house. This has been a remarkable result. I have had several CDs going and I am seeing interesting things happen with the Lucid Dream Experience CD. Too early to give you much, but things are definitely happening. The best one with me so far has been weight loss now and although weight loss is slow, it is coming off without emotional ups and downs or feeling constantly hungry and having to deny myself of everything. I now do not have constant hunger, and when I do eat, I am filled quickly and satisfied for long times between meals. The affirmations have changed my appetite, my desire for sugar is all but gone, and I am happier than I have ever been. Over the years, I have tried all that has been available for weight loss, even bariatric surgery, but it was never able to take away the craving and constant hunger. Your CDs have. It has been extremely painful emotionally to lose weight, but your CDs have taken away that frustration. I expect to see great things as I continue listening and eating right. I thank you on behalf of my husband also, who I know has benefited greatly from snoring issues that have actually bordered on being dangerous. Well, congratulations, Vicki, and thanks for sharing. You know, Ravinder, you you had a teeth grinding experience. Uh, you know, some of the things that, where I'm going, some of the things, the better testimonials that we hear are from people that use the programs while they're sleeping. Uh-huh. You know, so like snoring or uh, bruxism well, or that. bedwetting. You know, the number of people that have used bedwetting for their children and the child doesn't even know that they're using the bedwetting program. Um, you know, I, I find that, I still find that, the mind is just so amazing. I, and 30 years down the road, with all the research, it still just amazes me. All right, that's all the time we're going to take for letters today, but I do invite you to opine by sending your email to Eldon at EldonTaylor.com or by joining me on Facebook. We can't get all of your letters on the air, but they do impact our programming. And once again, I both appreciate and thank you for your feedback and continued support. Okay. Now to this week's show, a special episode of our Breaking Limitations series. Breaking Limitations was originally designed to be a telecourse or webinar, but the interest was so keen that we decided to make it available as a worldwide radio broadcast. Our show, Provocative Enlightenment, is a syndicated show and airs on many networks. Uh, So for more information about that, just visit ProvocativeEnlightenment.com. This week's special episode of Breaking Limitations features... Denise Lynn, and she is indeed an exceptional example of one who packs the house wherever she goes, at the top of her field, widely known as an acclaimed expert in managing energy and space, among other things. Denise Lynn has been called America's best-kept secret. 
For the last three and a half decades, she has traveled to the far corners of the world, speaking to standing room only audiences of thousands. Her spiritual journey began as a teenager when she had a near-death experience after being shot by an unknown gunman. The revelation she received on the other side and the subsequent amazing healing of her wounds led Denise to eventually become an internationally respected healer, writer, teacher, and more. A world-acclaimed expert in feng shui and space clearing, Denise has distilled the information and wisdom into her teachings that she gained from indigenous cultures around the planet, the Aborigines of Australia, the Zulu in Africa, the Maori of New Zealand, where she was given the title of Tohunga. We're going to have to ask about that one today. As well as from her own Native American roots. Denise has taught seminars in 25 countries and has written 17 books, including the best-selling Sacred Space and Soul Coaching, as well as her personal memoir, If I Can Forgive, So Can You. Her books have been translated into 28 languages, and she has been a featured guest on Oprah, Lifetime, Discovery Channel, BBC TV, NBC, and CBS. She is also the founder of the International Institute of Soul Coaching. Now, as you know, we often ask our guests for their three songs of life, three songs that represent their life or are particularly meaningful to them. Here is Denise's first. music I could listen to instead of doing a radio show. That is Hidden Garden by Dan Gibson from the album In the Midst of Angels. Okay, on that, let's get her in here. Welcome to Provocative Enlightenment, Denise Lynn. Hi. Are you there, Denise? Yeah, I'm here. <laughs> Welcome. Glad to have you here. Thank it's you been a while so much. Since we, it's been a while since we spoke. What have you been up to? Um, I am working on a new book, so I have gone to ground. But I'm, it's a book I'm excited about. It's about kindling the native spirit, and it's about the understanding that that native spirit dwells in all of us. If we trace our ancestry back far enough, we'll find that our peeps, our people, our ancestors were native. And so it's activating that connection to the earth, that connection to the elements that we all have. And I love this latest research that says, they found that in DNA, not only are physical characteristics carried through the generations, but also experiences are. So, so that's that's what I'm working on. That sounds super exciting. I think I've got some Native American, Native blood in me too. It's Cro Magnum, I think. <laughs> yeah, I think we all have a little bit of that. <laughs> I have to ask you, what does the title given you that of Tohunga mean? Well. I, Tohunga is basically, it means expert, <clears throat> and there is, there's all different kinds of Tohungas. It's, it's the same in Hawaii. They have the word kahuna, 
and people think kahuna means like a medicine man or a medicine woman, uh-huh. but basically you can be a canoe building kahuna. It means expert. So tohunga means expert, but there are different kinds. There's healing tohungas and storyteller tohungas, but the the title tohunga s, I guess that's a feminine version of tohunga, is um, you know someone who's a, a the kind that I was given. I guess I'm a little embarrassed by it, but um, that it uh, it means being a healer. And when I I was honorarily adopted into a Maori tribe and spent quite a bit of time with the Maoris in New Zealand, they've named me Fetu Manama Otarangi, <laughs> my Maori name. And it's so interesting, Eldon, and the various native cultures I've been in. There's there, there's commonalities around the world, and one of the things that I found in common is the naming. And when I was with the Zulu, they gave me the name Nogukini. Um, when I, my first teacher was a Hawaiian kahuna, and she gave me the name Mele Onuhunalani. And it seems that there must be some kind of power in the name, that when you have the name, you are more deeply and profoundly connected to the culture. So... The, I, to, that's a long answer to your question, that a Tohunga, Tohunga S is an expert, but the kind of expert um, title they honored me with was, was as a healer. That's, that's interesting. I, you know, uh, the Jewish tradition, of course, you get your own inner name when you're involved in Kabbalah. Or it's, it's really? See, I, had no, I, didn't, I don't know anything about Kabbalah or Kabbalah. How, I don't know how to pronounce it, but I, I didn't realize that, that you got a new name. I think that's true with most organizations, especially, the, I mean, those organizations that have a spiritual side to them. Uh, our, our goal here, Denise, is to develop a clear picture as to how the truly helpful and successful people in life, like yourself, have gained the success that they have. In doing this, you know, what we try to do is trace a path that led you from where you were to where you are today. So to begin, you know, please tell us a little bit about your early years. What was school like for you? Were you popular, a member of a group, a loner, uh, <laughs> you know, a cheerleader? What? What was your What was your story? Well, I have um, I had a very dysfunctional family in many regards, and we we moved about once a year, and a lo- number of those <clears throat> excuse me a number of those moves was we we more or less got kicked out of town. Um, so, so I never really put down many roots because when you're, you know, um, uh, when you have to kind of uh, pull up roots so often, you don't want to put them down too deeply. So when I was uh, younger, I was always the kid that sat by herself, you know, looking at everybody else. But I do remember you talk about, you know, the strategies that we've learned. And this was one that I actually had to unlearn. But I remember... As a very young girl, and it was at a new school, and I'm sitting at lunch all by myself, and um, it, it was warmer weather so that we were having lunch outdoors, and I, I saw the other kids all playing, and, and I saw the popular girl, and I thought, well, I guess I'm just going to be alone. And I thought, well, what is she doing that I don't do? What is different about her than different about me? So I watched. And I noticed that she smiled. Now, if I, when I looked at my earlier photographs, I was never smiling. Mm. So I thought, huh, she smiled. So I went back home. And I remember I got on a step stool to get up into the bathroom mirror. must have been up high. And I practiced my smiling. And it felt stupid, really stupid. So then when I went to school, I thought, 
well, I'm going to try it. And I gave a big smile, and I thought, people are going to laugh at me. I'm going to feel so ashamed. And this guy came up to me, and he started talking to me. And so I did it some more. And pretty soon I got friends, and I thought, oh, oh my gosh, all you have to do is smile and you make <laughs> friends. Now later, you know, I, I learned that, you know, you have to give up a lot to be nice. Uh, and um, in high school, I was voted nicest. You know how they they vote for people. Right, right. So you know you give up a lot. So I had to go through um, a kind of unlearning of the strategies that I learned. But I'm going to have you I, hold it on. You, I'm going to have you, you know, hold it on that, Denise. We've got a hard break here. Smile. We'll pick it up on smile <laughs> when we come back. I love it. We're speaking with Denise Lynn about her books, life, and work. Remember to join Ravinder and her team in the chat room. You can do that by going to provocativeenlightenment.com forward slash chat. Do stay tuned. You don't want to miss what's coming up after a few words from some of our friends. You're listening to Provocative Enlightenment with Elton Taylor. Have you talked to yourself lately? What does that inner voice say? Are you constantly hearing negative feedback? Ready for a change? Inner talk. Eldon Taylor's patented subliminal technology can do just that. Change your inner self-talk. Turn off the negative by replacing it with positive affirmations. Inner talk has been researched at universities such as Stanford and by governments around the world and has been proven effective at priming your self-talk. Armed with a new positive outlook, you'll find everything becomes easier. From losing weight to stop smoking, giving presentations to riding horses, Learn new things to being a powerful salesperson. Choose your title for change today. Visit www.innertalk.com. That's I-N-N-E-R-T-A-L-K.com. Innertalk.com. Unlock the power of your mind. This is Provocative Enlightenment with Eldon Taylor. Now, on, on that, that was, that was music. We had a little problem queuing it up from Practical Magic uh, by Alvin Silvestri. Those are the first two songs you provided to us, Denise. Uh, what makes them important to you? Well, actually, the, the first one I provided was... Um, Hidden Garden. The, well, at, actually, those were backups. The first one was um, Somewhere Over the Rainbow by Iz. And... and um, do you know that song? I do. I love this song, but it yeah, wasn't so what that, was given that's... me. I was given Hidden Garden and Practical <laughs> Magic. But do you know what? I like those too. I just like them because they make me happy. What I what I wrote to Ravinder is that that um, you know I, I love music, but I don't have particular favorite ones. It it kind of changes as my my mood changes. And I, I looked at my iTunes, and I have probably enough songs that, according to my iTunes account, that I could listen 
day and night for over a month and a half. That's how much music I have. So I don't, and you'd think, well, I'd have my favorites, but it just really changes. But I like the, I love Practical Magic because it makes me feel like we live in this mystical, magical universe, and it's all available for us. It's just a matter of shifting our focus into that which is wondrous rather than that which is not. And if I could just jump into, I realize the question that you'd asked me in the, the first segment was you were wanting to say, find out for me, what have I done that other people could do to, to support them? And so I was thinking about it during the break, and I realized the thing I've done that because I thought how, you know, I had kind of a rough upbringing. How did I get where I am? And I love this expression, and I use it all the time, the soul loves the truth. And I think part of what I have gained and how I've done what I've done is because I'm continually looking at what is my truth, not the truth of society, but what is the truth of my soul. So I just wanted to take a step back. Well, that's wonderful, I, and, and that's good, because I wanted to step back, too. Okay. You, you know, uh, this is provocative enlightenment, so obviously if you're going to give me a, a lead-in, I'm, I'm going to take advantage of it. What do you mean you got kicked out of town? Oh, well, um, my my mother was paranoid schizophrenic, and uh, it, it was and she was pretty violent. She was in and out of mental hospital, so she would do things like she would, at one town, um, she started sending letters to the editor, about, um, you know, what a horrible town it was, and then we were getting death threats, and our house ached, and, you know, um, or sometimes she'd call, my, she'd call up the boss of my, you know, my dad and and um, kind of rake them over the coals and he'd get fired. So there were there were different reasons, but uh, sometimes she would, she, she was a, uh, a force to be reckoned with. <laughs> Trying to keep us on the move. You, 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 you are light about that today. I mean, I yeah. could hear in your voice that, you know, you certainly don't harbor any ill will towards your mother. Oh, I uh, did. Oh, my God. I really did. That's I mean, where I, had... I was going to go. What was it like <laughs> at the time? I had, oh, I had suicide attempts. I ended up in the hospital. I just wanted to you know, die. But, you know, I did a lot of therapy. And I'm a big believer in therapy. And at one time I made a list of all the different therapy I'd done, and I could find something pretty much from A to Z that I had done, that I'd tried, that I'd, um, that I'd kind of gone through to begin to heal those wounds. Because I think for, for many people, when you have, especially those early childhood wounds, you know, when my dad, with my mother being in the mental hospital, my father was sexually abusing me. So, so I think those wounds and the shame and the guilt from that went actually deeper than her, um, she was violent, than her physical assault. But, the, you know, thank God for therapy. And the best, the best therapy, and this kind of relates to what you're doing, Eldon, is, and, and it's also what I do with, with the people I work with, is what I call the inner journey, to go deep. Because sometimes just talking about that stuff doesn't change anything. No. But it's when you go to where where you adopted those inner beliefs, those beliefs about, you know, I didn't think I deserved anything good in life. I didn't think I was a worthy person. And when I went deep inside and found where those beliefs started, and then I began to reweave them from their source, that was when miracles of healing occurred. Let me let me ask you something, since we're, we're touching on some really sensitive areas, things that I didn't know about you. Uh, I don't think, you know, 
maybe the maybe those people that are close to you do know that, but it's not something that everybody knows. Uh, I'm prompted by the Reverend Doctor side of myself to ask you this: in, in all the counseling that I've ever done, there are things that you just there's nowhere to go if you don't have a spiritual um, place, you know. To exit towards, you you lose someone that uh, is really important to you, the loss of a loved one, yeah. or you you suffer the kind of trauma that you're talking about now, which yeah. produces all these feelings of guilt and shame and and worthlessness. And so, of all the therapies that you have done, the bottom line question that I would put to you is, how important has the spiritual aspect? been to you in becoming who you are today? You know, growing up, my parents were scientists, and they were atheists. So growing up, I had pretty much no spiritual or religious safety net. And, and that's what I think it is, is having having a connection to spirit is a safety net, especially in those hard times. You know, how are you going to mm-hmm. make it through if you mm-hmm. if you think this is all there is? But I had a, it was one of those um, good news, bad news. When I was uh, seventeen, I was a, a guy I didn't know. He came. I was on my little motorbike, and he came and he rammed into my motorbike. And he actually hit me pretty hard. And then he came back and shot me. And so I had. Uh, so it was, it was very intentional. It was this wasn't oh, an accident? Yeah, actually, he murdered a lot of women, and I was the only one who survived. And amazingly, the reason I survived. Is because he he got out of his car and came over. He was going to shoot me again, and I opened my eyes. And for some unknown reason, I wasn't afraid and I wasn't angry because, well, gosh, he had just hit me and then he came and shot me. But in that moment, it, I still am amazed. But all I felt was compassion, and I kept looking at him with this depth of compassion for the kind of pain that he must have in his life to be in that position where he was killing people. And he couldn't shoot me, and his arm began to shake, and he dropped it, and he turned around and drove away. And evidently, I am the only one who survived from the different uh, people he had killed. He was a now, did they killer. apprehend this fellow? Do you know, they did. And that was that was also kind of, you know, I, I kind of, I, I know victimhood is they they arrested him. And it was, since it was such a big case, I mean, um, J. Edgar Hoover got involved, and it was it was a really big case, and because a, a senator's niece was one of the women who had been killed. So but this, this is was, a serial this, killer. Yeah, and this was a tiny little town in Ohio. So they have this, just a few thousand people, they have this local prosecutor, and then this pro bono lot firm out of New York came and offered to represent him. And because... You know, it was big publicity. So one of the things they did is in those days, you know, if you read it in the paper, it's true. So I was accused of being um, what they say. This all came out in the newspaper. They said I was a a drug addict. I'd never even smoked a cigarette. They said I went to, um, I I went to, what they say, to sex orgies with people of other races. Now, this was a, there weren't other races in town, and I was a virgin. 
And then they said I was a communist. Now, all three of those... And this would have been also at a time that that was just, I mean... It was horrific. Many of those, many of the the states in the Union, it was was literally illegal, unlawful, to marry someone of another another race. So it would have been absolutely scandalous beyond the scandal of the day. And, you know, strangely, I think it was the communism that was the worst thing, because, you know, it was in the mid, it was in the 60s, but this little town was living kind of in the early 50s, and mm-hmm. it was, so to have those things in the newspaper, and it was totally, absolutely, uncon- and I was a cheerleader, I was an A student, you know, I'd only just kissed a boy, and uh, when the, all this happened, and then my mother, who was in and out of mental hospital, they got her to testify against me and say what an evil person I was. And I didn't have the courage to say, you know, actually, she's kind of mentally ill. So I just didn't, in those days, you know, you just didn't, I don't know. So I got rejected by an entire town. <laughs> and my best friends weren't allowed to talk to me. And there I was on my own, and I moved into another little town and uh, worked at a truck stop and was eating cat food trying to earn money to get to college because I didn't get to go to college right away. So when I talk about being a victim, I I um, I know about that. But back to your question about having a spiritual source. So the bad news was getting shot. And I lost a kidney. I lost an adrenaline gland. I lost my spleen. I still, you know, I've got a hole through my spine still. I um, There was a hole through the... um, you know, the aorta. So there's a lot of, uh, part of my lung was, you know, was taken. There was a hole through the stomach. So there was a lot of damage, but I had what's called a near-death experience. And that experience has made all the difference in the world because I remember what happened on the other side. I, and there was a period where the doctors thought I died. And I remember not just being in that place, but I remember having been there before. I was home. That one experience, that remembering of, oh, my gosh, I forgot. This is where I live. This is who I am. That has sustained me, and it continues to sustain me. It's it's an incredible story. You know, and Denise... uh Anyone that has ever been in a court uh, situation where you you're against uh, the high power, if you will, uh, knows how bad that can be. I mean, just how how they deliberately attack your credibility, assassinate your worth, uh, with the intention, of course, of discrediting your entire testimony. And when you walk away from that. Um, where did you get the courage to to move to another town to to um, you know find a job to to ultimately work your way to where you are today? Where did that courage come from? Was it the near death experience? You know, I, I, I people say, well, after the near death experience, did not mean everything was beautiful after that? No, it wasn't. It was hard. It was really hard to go from being you know very. I felt very loved, and you know, I was very popular at that time in school and I had a lot of friends and and you know like I said I had good grades my life was looking up in so many ways to go from that to where I would walk down the street and people would walk they would go to the other side nobody would talk to me I had really nothing and 
And so I moved into this little trailer on the side of the freeway as, as I was working at this truck stop. And one night I thought, I can't take this. And incidentally, they, you know, it is amazing he got off. The, the bullet from his gun matched the bullet that when they found in my body, they found paint from his car on my motorbike. I'd identified him. And he wasn't even from the area, but someone who amazingly knew him had seen him. Goes, God, there's Mark. And saw him following behind me. So that's a lot of, so that, and he still got off. But oh, I decided I was going to kill myself. So late at night, there was a river, the Maumee River, and I decided I was going to drown myself. It was November, it was cold. I thought, I'm going to drown myself. So I'm walking through this park late at night, early in the morning, and, and there's still little bits of dirty snow on the ground on the way to the river to drown myself. And there's this guy sitting in the park bench in the middle of the night. And normally you would never go up to a single guy in a park, you know, at nighttime. But I thought, I'm going to be dead anyway in a few minutes. What difference does it make? <laughs> so I went up to him and I sat down next to him. And I said, are you okay? Because he looked a little hangdog. And he goes, no. So I said, well, what's going on? And so he said, well, he was on the way to the river to kill himself. Now, at the time, I didn't think that was unusual because, you know, it was part of my reality. I was on the river, way to the river to kill myself. So I started talking to him, and I said, you know, you're young, and you're going through a rough time, but, but you'll make it. You'll make it through this. You just watch and see. And as I talked to him, I felt better and better. And I could remember I got up, and the sun was just starting to come up, and that snow that looked so dirty, it just seemed to, to glow kind of pink in the early morning light. I felt so good because I'd helped him. Years later, I looked at that. See, I believe in angels. And years yeah. later, I look back and think, oh, my God, that was an angel. That wasn't a coincidence that that guy was sitting there. Because I actually hadn't heard of that many people killing themselves in the river. Actually, I'd never heard of anybody killing <laughs> themselves in the river. I thought it was my unique idea. But um, so I do think I do believe in angels, and I do think there are angelic interventions at times in our life, even when we don't realize it at the time. I agree. I totally do. I had a similar experience did with you? Uh, a person that just didn't exist, but he wow, did that what happened? in the evening. Uh, it, it's a whole other story. I want to stay on your story, oh, okay. but, you know... Uh, I'll be happy to tell you sometime when we, you know, uh, we have time away from the con <laughs> you know, content that we're dealing with right now. Okay, minute. I'd love that. Now, so here you are. I've got this picture. I want I want to make sure we have it correct. You're basically abandoned. Um, your NDE uh, has not, in and of itself, uh, corrected the. Uh, loss that you feel, uh, the abandonment, uh, and so forth. Uh, even though you may have the idea and you do know that they're, you know, where you came from, et cetera, that, that hasn't fixed your physical pain, right? Am I got no, it right and, so far? In, in many ways, what it did was bring the pain from my childhood to the surface because I had successfully compartmentalized it. Uh -huh. And, you know, there, it, there was a lot of shame, you know, you don't, you don't want to tell, I didn't want it, my father told me never to tell, you know, what was sure. going on, and sure. so there was the shame about what was happening with my father, there was the shame about having a mental, in those days, mental illness was like a really bad thing, you know, right. now it's something people talk about, there was the shame of, um, right. you know, what was going on at home, 
and the violence that was going on at home. And But I'd compartmentalized it. And like I said, you have to give up a lot to be nice. I was voted nicest at high school. I always smiled. I always was acted nice and kind. But beneath all of that was a lot of pain. And so if anything, that kind of stepping beyond the veil allowed that pain to come to the surface. So I had a rough few years. And it was also, that was also the time of, of it was a very turbulent time in the country as well. I was um, finally made it up to college and went, was at a lot of marches and getting tear gassed and pepper gassed. And, and uh, so it, you know, it's almost like my inner turbulence was being matched by the outer turbulence. The protest days of the 60s. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Let, you know, I know you personally and I, you know, the, I had no idea about the pain uh, that we're discussing at this point. So the question I have for you, Denise, is where was the turning point? W- was there a single turning point, or was this a gradual process? Because I I don't detect any ill will in you at all. I don't detect any, you know, I don't hear you talk about your father as though you hate him or you still blame him. You must have forgiven all of these people. You must have. What What brought about that chrysalis in your life? I, I, I believe that forgiveness is a process. And, and it, one of the things that helped me was realizing that I did not need to forgive the act but I can forgive the person. And that that distinction, it sounds like a small distinction, it was a huge Major. distinction for me because I will never forgive child abuse. Sexually mm-hmm. abusing a child I think is unforgivable. I do not forgive that. I will never forgive that. But I was able to understand the forces in my father's life that 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 allowed him to, <clears throat> to do that. Now, I'll tell you that... Uh, my father's forgiveness didn't come till much later in life, but here, what, what happened was, I had this idea that that he would he would ask for my forgiveness, and when he asked for my forgiveness, I would heal. And I kept trying to broach it with him, and he would always say I was making it up. And uh, you know, the closest he came to admitting it, I said, so I said, so is my sister making it up too? Because I wasn't the only child who was abused, and he got really quiet. So I just thought he he sooner or later I can heal because he will he will ask for my forgiveness and then I can heal. It was kind of silly, but that was what was going on in my head. So then he got cancer. Curiously enough, the cancer was eating away at his scrotum. Interesting little karmic mm-hmm. thing there, but mm-hmm. but um er, <laughs> and so I had this idea that I would be with him as he was dying. And that he would finally, finally, you know, say he was sorry. And that I could finally heal. And so I got the call. He's dying. And it took me three flights to get there. And I kept thinking. And it sounds a little selfish, but I kept thinking because the wound seemed to go so deep. I'm going to finally heal because he's going to say he's sorry. So I got there and it was too late. They said he's dead. And I'm like, what? So I had, I have to see him. They said, no, he's going to be cremated. I said, no, no, I have to see him. So finally, I kind of forced my way into this warehouse in the middle of nowhere and uh, pushed my way practically past the people who were running the warehouse into this fluorescent lit room. And there was my dad. He was six seven, and he did not die of you know he was all bruised, and he didn't he didn't die of uh, bruising. So I think they must have dropped him a lot because he was so big. But he was there, and he was on. There was this 
wooden crate, and I'm in this cold room, and and all of a sudden I start screaming at him. But first I touched him. I couldn't I couldn't stand being hugged by him because it always brought up all those memories of you know being in his bed. And so I I'm screaming at him like I never did before. Like how could you do that to a little girl? And you know and all the other things that that the whole lifetime of stuff. So it wasn't like I just, you know, oh, I forgive you. It was it was kind of, you know, I was screaming a lot. I imagine the guys in the warehouse were like, oh, my God, we're never letting anyone here again. <laughs> and then suddenly after I was all screamed out, I said, you know, I don't even know if I believe this or not, but I forgive you. And then, Eldon, something amazing happened. That cold fluorescent room seemed to glow golden. And I heard what seemed to be his voice. And he said, all of those years when you were waiting for me to ask for your forgiveness, I was waiting for you to forgive me. And something shifted. So... Not everyone gets the opportunity to go scream at their dead parent, but that's that. You know, I did a lot. I did a lot of inner work, but that actually was what really turned the, the I don't know, turned the corner for me. That's an incredible story. Incredible story. Uh, so, okay, you are not likely, given this uh, early introduction, if you will, to uh, your your early life, to become the Denise Lynn the world knows today, the successful author, world-traveled, expert on many things, top of the game. No, I mean, you know, you, you're, you're, you're more likely to be, you know, know. in some drug den, uh, married to some <laughs> multi, you know, res, some felon, uh, maybe yeah. yourself with the, so... Denise, here is, I'm going to tell you this, because I have asked that same question, and I'm so sorry for interrupting. Um, You've got me excited. No, 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 don't. I'm I'm going to ask you to hold the story, because we have a hard break coming in 30 seconds. I've got the secret, so they'll want to come back, because I've got the secret. Yeah, absolutely, and and (laughs) I'm one of them that wants to come back, so you remember it right there. Okay, uh, we're, you know, I, I want to thank everybody for joining us today, and I'm sure you're enjoying the show as much as I am. If you're not already in our chat room, now is the time to get there. We have a movie for you during the break featuring Denise Lynn. It's a great little uh, little piece that you'll enjoy. It's only, I think it's only about four minutes long, but it's a great piece. So be sure to go to provocativeenlightenment.com forward slash chat and choose the chat room button near the top of the page. We'll be right back after a brief station break. You're listening to Provocative Enlightenment with Elton Taylor. Unlock the power of your mind. This is Provocative Enlightenment with Elton Taylor. Welcome back. If you're just joining us, we're chatting with Denise Lynn about her books, uh, life, uh, you know, her work, and how she has gone from an unbelievable uh, early um, story, life story, if you will, to the, the success that she has enjoyed. And just before the break, uh, she promised to tell us the secret. So, Denise, 
the secret, please. What I was going to say is, you're qu- you had asked me, you said, you know what, you went through a lot of stuff in your life. How did you make it? How is it you're not, you know, more, I, I don't know, can't remember your exact words, but more miserable, yeah, but right. more unhappy than you are. Um, and so I have asked myself that same question over and over again, because I knew if I could figure out how I made it from numerous suicide attempts, from from being thinking there was absolutely nothing good about me, I mean really nothing that was worthwhile about me, how could I make it here? Then if I could find that secret, I could share it with others. And I'm happy to say I found the secret. Pregnant pause. <laughs> what the secret is, it's gratitude. And and I have somehow, I must have like, it's tiny, but it's like you don't, you need only the gratitude the size of a mustard seed, something like that, is I have found that in feeling grateful, finding anything to be grateful, and people say, well, there's nothing to be grateful for, but there's always something to be grateful for. And the more I looked and found what I was grateful for, that I had two legs that I could walk, that I could see, that I had running water, that I have flush toilets, that that I had a heart that could feel, even when I was feeling pain, I think there's some people that can't actually feel emotions. To find something, and the more you can feel and find gratitude and be grateful and be thankful, the better your life will get no matter how bad it's been. And I, um, so for me, that's the secret. Maybe other people have other secrets, but that's my secret. And those days when I wake up and feel about how grateful I am, they're just so much better. Years ago in uh, Big Bear, California, um, I facilitated uh, um, what we call the Creative Living Center, uh, a Sunday service, if you will. Uh We, uh, We had a you know, we went uh, down to Pasadena. Actually, my uh, my partner uh, was an attorney in Pasadena, uh, and we had a, a number of badges made up. These these are pins that you just put on your shirt, you know, yeah. mm-hmm. uh, or on your lapel. And they said, "I have a gratitude attitude," because <laughs> you know the research shows clearly that that little magic bullet, that little secret of yours, is really a genuine secret. It seems to, for whatever reason, reverse those neurochemicals that we're putting into our system. And, uh, you know, it's as simple, I've said this many, many times, the body is hardwired in ways that if we just would understand how it's hardwired, we could mobilize much easier uh, the strengths of the body to overcome mood states and, you know, feelings of despair. But if we just simply fake a smile, the brain doesn't know we're faking it, it, that that facial contortion causes right. it to release endorphins. Right, you know, it's a behavioral just, conditioned response. Right, and 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 so you you know that is a wonderful secret. Let me ask you this then. Okay, here you are, top of the game, and you are top of the game. You have your own radio show at Hay House. Very <laughs> very prominent radio uh, personality, prominent author. Um, you and your daughter, and I have to pitch this one because I just love it. I'm going to plug you here. Oh, You've got perfect. a cookbook, a cookbook that has just exquisite recipes in it. Uh, anyone that enjoys food will love your cookbook. 
but it, you you have you seem to have it all going for you. So how do you describe yourself today? And at what point did you say to yourself, "I've made it"? Well, I, I mean, I love hearing this from you. I, I've never actually said I made it to myself, but um, I, I I think yeah. So. I don't really think of my life in terms of making it or not making it. I think in terms of feeling joy or not feeling joy. And to me, it's not, it's, it's, what's it say? It's not a destination, it's a journey. So if I, if I'm feeling joy during the day, I'm like, yeah, I guess that would be the equivalent of I'm making it. So it's, for me, it's, it's not really about my outer accomplishments. It's more about my inner of joy and so my making it is joy and not every day is filled with joy but the days that I spend being grateful and and when I'm in that place of joy I've noticed that there's probably like 500 things in one day I'm grateful for (laughs) I'm like um, right right now we have one of our little chicks has turned into a rooster and you know when when you have chickens you only have one rooster and so I haven't been. My told. wife will take it. She loves roosters, and she just really? loves hers. Yeah. Really? I had I had a good rooster. I was just talking about it in the chat room too, just ah. two seconds ago, and I'm well, I'm very sad because yeah, we lost Jack. How just far last away week. are you guys? This this is a great. His name, well, his name's Marshmallow because I thought it was a girl, so I think it's really Marshall. <laughs> but he's gorgeous and he's young too, so he's still malleable. Where where are you? I'd love We're to spoke in Washington, but I'll let you talk to Ravinder about chickens <laughs> off the air. How's that? <laughs> Listen, Denise, a lot of people have the idea, and, and I mean, I hear this all the time. You, you, uh, you're a successful author. You do this. You do that. They have the idea that, you know, your life is perfect. Everything works for you. You know, you don't have to deal with putting your pants on one leg at a time like they do. You know, they, they have bills to pay. They have, you know, they get sick, da-da-da-da-da-da-da. That's the idea they kind of have. Now, you yeah. know, so, and, and I'm sure you've heard this, too. They they expect that somehow, you know, you walk on water, right? I don't Somebody think anyone's ever thought that about me, quite frankly, but... but uh... Well, now, wait a minute. So Somebody must have. <laughs> I, um, I think that when people know me, they're pretty, they're, it's very obvious that I, um, I guess. Well, let's uh, talk about hiccups. Now let's still, let's talk about together, hiccups. Tell me about your relationships. I mean, and tell me about, you know, I mean, um, I know you've got a great one with your daughter. You know, what have your personal relationships been I like? have an amazing husband, and I am so grateful. And I got him, um, who we've been married over 40 years. And I love how I, you say, I got <laughs> him. What? I got him. I love him. how you say, I got him. Like, I you know, got him. I stuck well, him, true. boy. But anyway, I'm sorry. Come on. No, I got him through a collage. Because I, I, I had a boyfriend. I'm thinking, you know, this isn't going for the, anywhere. So, you know, the kind of, we called it um, treasure mapping in those days. So uh-huh. I made a list of everything I wanted in a relationship. And I put it on the back of the bathroom door. Now, I put my collages in the bedroom, but I, you want to put it somewhere where it's going to reprogram your subconscious mind. Literally, within two weeks, um, I was married. And I was. what had happened was that I was wow. in a, it wasn't my boyfriend. 
I was in a course, a communication course, and it was so expensive. It was 62 cents a minute, and I took out a loan to go to this course, and it was going to take me a year to pay off the loan, and I was really upset. Like, I'm not getting anything out of this course, and I'm going to have to pay it off for a year. So I told the guy, I said, I am not getting anything out of this course. And it was right near the end, and he looked at me, and then there was a guy sitting next to me, and he goes, okay, so ask the guy next to you to marry you. And I I was kind of, you know, I'm a double Aries, I'm a little impulsive. So I was really kind of upset, and I was tired. And so I turned to the guy next to me, and I said, okay, will you marry me? Well, the guy got, next to me got kind of quiet. And then he said, okay. <laughs> and then I, so I was a little shocked. And then the guy said, well, when are you going to get married? I said, oh, well, you know, in a year. And he said, he understood the power of identity and my identity is that i am someone who tells the truth and he said are you a person of your word i'm like yes i am because you've just asked him to marry you and what do you what's this year and i said okay we'll get married tomorrow so i called the judge who is a friend of mine and asked him if he would officiate at our wedding the next day and he lived um this was in hawaii and he lived on the big island we were on oahu so we booked a plane flew to the Big Island, and he had us meet him at a waterfall. And then he said, this is a like a very high-profile judge, but this was a long time ago. This was 40 years ago. He said, okay, now, take off. He said, walk by the waterfall. He did. He hollers across the pool, take your clothes off. So I'm practically unconscious. Like, what am I doing? I hadn't told my boyfriend at this point either. So we took our clothes off, stood under the waterfall. The judge took his clothes off. He dove into the pond. He climbed up on the rocks, and he married us. So here I am married to this guy who's not my boyfriend, and um, but it, it worked out. <laughs> you know, that's the most unromantic story I've ever heard with a wonderful romantic conclusion. <laughs> but here's the thing. If I would have... You know, I had such a rotten upbringing. If I would have married, the guys I was attracted to were not the best kind of guys for me. So I felt like somehow the creator took over. The creator said, Denise, you are not going to pick the right person, so I'm just going to take this out of your hand. <laughs> so I am so blessed with this amazing human being I get to live my life with. <laughs> That's a wonderful story. I, you, you know, I mean, I know what it's like to get, you know, into a relationship that just goes zip. I met my wife in London, England, lecturing, and I, you know, I swear I recognized her. I knew who she was from a prior life, and, uh, you know, I sent her a letter from Heathrow and asked her to join me when I flew back from Germany, and she did, and that was it, you know? Oh. It's just, uh, so, but I I never think about just turning this. You 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 got me. You got me. All right. I love it. Congratulations. You know, okay, I have a book. It's an autobiography. Uh, the the title originally was How My Death Saved My Life, which and then you know Reed at Hayhouse said, oh, you know, no one wants to buy a book in America with the word death in it. I think we have a death phobia here, but but. In the book, I, there's photographs, and I, I put a photograph of us naked underneath the waterfall, and my husband was like, oh, you can't do that, and he was kind of concerned about it, and I thought he was worried his mom would see it, and I said, honey, no one's going to believe my stories, because uh, they're true, so I have to put as many photographs as I can to prove that the things I'm saying are true, 
and he still was upset. And then turns out, he it, in the end, he goes, okay, but I really hope people know how cold that water was. So just saying, if anyone sees that photograph, I just, <laughs> the water was cold. <laughs> oh, that was a bad one. <laughs> just I know what happens to male organs in really cold water. I'm afraid that's where my mind is. It has nothing to do with his mom. <laughs> anyway, so my our wedding photo is in my book. So now the book is called If I Can Forgive, So Can You. But And it's a wonderful book. You know, okay, all right. Let me ask you this. Yeah. You, uh, you do some novel things. One of them is shapeshift. And I know this because I, you know, follow you a little bit, pay attention to what you're blogging, writing, and talking about. Yeah. And, um, you know, I think of shape-shifting, and I think of Babylon 5, you know? And there was a character <laughs> in that, a, you know, a scientist. He literally changed his physical appearance, you know, one race to another race. Right. So, now, not long ago, you had some coyotes, I believe it was. They were disturbing you. <laughs> And if I had the story right, you decided to shape shift into something like a gray wolf and run them off. <laughs> but, <laughs> what I want to know, you know, I, I, do we I have actually, photos of that too? <laughs> I actually don't re- remember that, but we we do have an ongoing. I think maybe what you heard is I I purchased some wolf pee and I was pouring wolf pee on the land. But I do I I do know about shape shifting and the. The um, the first person who, because I've been very fortunate in my life to train and study with uh, many indigenous people around the world, and I was very fortunate to have a, a wonderful, wonderful teacher many years ago from in the Taos Pueblo, and um, he was talking to me about shape-shifting, and he said, you know, I, I um, become a fox, and he said, everyone in my family, we have the ability to become foxes, and so... Being raised by scientists, there's always that little scientific part of my my brain. And so I said, well, you mean that I'm looking at you. I I wouldn't see a fox. I would see you, but you would feel that you were a fox. And he was so, like, he couldn't believe that I even said that. Like, no, you would see a fox. And it was a powerful moment because we we tend to think that this reality that we co-share in Western world is the reality, but what I've discovered in Native cultures is that this is only one of a multitude of realities of realms, and literally it is possible to step between the realms. And, you know, many years ago I met a a man that could um, manifest oil out of his hand, like fragrant oil, Mm -hmm. and so he was, he was, you know, regular bloke in England. So I wanted to see him, and he was a nice guy. And so he holds his hand out because I wanted to see him do it. And all of a sudden, his hands start to pull with oil. So I'm not making this up. This is really true. And they're fragrant. They have this wonderful smell of flowers. But he had a shirt on. So I said, okay, well, would you do me a huge favor and take your shirt off? And he's laughing at me, and he takes his shirt off. And here he is. There's no hidden anything. And he holds his hand out. And these oils start to pull in his hand until until he can turn his hand off to the side, and they're just pouring out of his side, the wonderful smell of flowers. This was real. Does that make sense? Well, and, you know, and, uh, listen, 
I, I'll tell you, Denise, uh, I have a friend, his name's Lee Poulos, Dr. Lee Poulos is a Can- uh, Canadian psychologist. Uh, I think yeah. He's retired now. I don't know if you know him or not. But, no. Uh-uh. Uh, he was involved in the making of a film uh, about psychic discoveries. And, uh, you know, I saw this film, and, and there were indigenous people in Africa that were chewing glass, chewing glass, and, you know, the others that chewed coals. And there was a manifester who was able to manifest out of his eyelids, out of his eye socket, gems, gemstones. And, uh, wow. You know, I saw this video, or the movie, and, and you know... The, of course, they can doctor things. I asked Lee, I said, you know, come on, is that re- did that really happen? He said, absolutely, absolutely. I saw it firsthand, absolutely. So, you know, I, 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 I don't, I, I am a scientist, you know. Yeah. The bottom line there is, you know, if you read the who's who's and whatnot, I am a scientist. Yeah. Um, and I don't understand uh, there isn't a way to explain it. That's the way to say it. There isn't a way to explain these manifestations, but there are anomalies. You know what? What William James called the white crows, and they just simply exist. And how we accommodate them in our belief system? Well, you know, I think Doctor uh, Christian Inescu last week uh, said it. You know, the, our rational processes, our science, will only take us so far. And then in order to apprehend our real being and our role in this miracle that is life, we have to engage at a, at, at still yet another level, and that invokes the spiritual. Mm-hmm. Uh, and maybe these anomalies exist just so they slap us alongside the face. I mean, if you hadn't had your NDE, maybe you wouldn't... Uh, you wouldn't be the person you are today. If I had no, some things happen to me, I wouldn't be. You know, no, it, I, yeah, I wanted ahead. to be a scientist. I, you know, I thought if you cannot prove it, it does not exist. I would, I would think anyone who believed the things that I believed was weird <laughs> and deluded. Well, I would have thought that for sure <laughs> when I was much younger. No question about it. So. <laughs> <laughs> I, I may have dis. I would have dismissed myself then if I could hear myself talk now. At, at that, when you know, when I was, oh, in my twenties, even in my early, by the time I was thirty, I was still pretty cynical. And so I would, you know, I would, I would be inclined to say that you know it is as you say. The path is dynamic. The process is such that I do believe. We're all created with the tools and equipment to apprehend uh, the miracle of life, the, if you will, the divine. And uh, sooner or later, we're going to get slapped alongside the head. We're going to have an anomalous experience. And if we don't just dismiss it, if we'll stop and look at it, it will be one of those flag raisers that tends to tell us there's more to life than what we can explain uh, from a standpoint of our, our current sciences. At any rate, that's my view on it. Well, do you know what I, I love? And, and as I said, I come from a family of scientists, and my my brother's a very renowned um, physicist. He's a has uh-huh. a PhD in astrophysicist. He's a professor. And Interesting. That's what our son wants to be as an astrophysicist. He's at the University of Washington studying that now, and our niece oh. is a 
has her PhD in physics uh, wow. from uh, Cambridge University. So, you know, it's interesting that we have all the <laughs> physicists here gathered, but go on, I'm sorry. Well, no, no, here's what I love. I love that that as science continues to expand, so many of the things that were purely in the realm of mysticism are are now overlapping into the realm of science. And metaphysics and physics are overlapping. For example, you know, where, where in, in the native cultures I spent time, and they talk about kind of time travel, if you will. And, you know, talking to my brother, he says, you know, Denise, hypothetically, you could, according to the laws of physics, you could take off in a rocket, a jet, and you could come back before you left. And he said, and that is by the laws of physics. So isn't that fascinating? It, it is. It, it, you know, I mean, and of course, as you say, science is progressing. Let me ask you this, Denise. What faces do you, I mean, you have faces. What challenges do you face today? I, maybe I'm a little, you, you are dyslexic, aren't you? Very, yeah. Okay, so I, I won't use that one. We'll, we'll talk about that in a minute. But what challenges do you face still to this day? Um, gosh, I constantly work with self-esteem. And I think you, you teach what you need to learn. So one of the things I'm really good at teaching is working with people and their self-esteem. And um, also I'm a procrastinator, and I'm really good at working with people and getting it up and going and making their dreams come true. I used to, like, it would be my secret shame. Plus, being dyslexic used to be a, a secret shame. I have a lot of secret shames, like, you know, you know, working with self-esteem. But then I tried everything to feel really confident, and nothing seemed to work. So one day I thought, all right, I may have a lack of self-confidence forever, so I might as well find out what's great about it. So I spent time thinking about what was great about having a lack of self-esteem, what was great about being a procrastinator, what was great about even being dyslexic. And I've found so many things that are wonderful about these things that are blockages and continue to be quote-unquote blockages that I'm not attached to them as much anymore. Does that make any sense? Like I'll, totally. I'll notice myself having like a, a really low self-esteem thought, and I'll think, huh, interesting, low self-esteem thought. I'm not like, it's the end of the world. You know, different. the bottom line is, I think, Denise, what we resist, we become. So <laughs> when we have these negative thoughts, I think of them as ants, automatic negative thoughts. I think you probably do, too. But when you have these negative thoughts, if you deny them, if you push them back, if you fight them, uh, they're kind of like your ego. They just get larger. You know, the more you resist who you are, uh, the processes that you deal with, the, the the stronger they become, the greater a hold they have on you. It's, you know, it, it's somewhat like, you know, the person says, whatever you do, don't think of your mother. <laughs> well, of course, the first thing you do is think of your mother, you know. So, you know, when you when you push these things away, they they come back stronger every time. Doing what you did is marvelous piece of advice. You know, integrate it. You know, what what is positive about? What do I get out of it? Why am I resisting it? And in that process, you dissolve its power, and you're able to move forward. At least that's that that would be my take. So make sense? Yeah, absolutely. Perfect. Perfect sense. Maybe well, I let can. Let me tell you what what is so great about a lack of self-confidence is I realized that I started to think about people that were really confident and they know they know 
They know the way okay, life is. They know the way they're living. Right there. We'll and, come back on confidence, but we have another one of those computer breaks going to oh, kick okay. us out. <laughs> we hope you're enjoying our show today with Denise Lynn and our discussion about her approach to breaking limitations, her life, her her books, and her work. You can visit her website and learn more by going to Denise Lynn, D-E-N-I-S-E-L-I-N-N dot com. We'll be back in just a couple of minutes and take your calls, so please do stay tuned. Confusion, deception, manipulation, feeling a bit controlled, lost. Learn how you can take back control of your life through proven techniques in Eldon Taylor's revised edition of Choices and Illusions. This New York Times bestseller is a guidebook to your journey to self-actualization, filled with practical, real-life solutions backed by scientific studies and guaranteed to awaken your inner genie. Get your copy today from all bookstores. Now, back to the show. That's Rule the World from the movie Stardust. And, Denise, that was song number three, as I understood it, or do I have that one wrong? Denise? Hi. Hi. I'm not sure what that song was. It sounded nice, but I don't remember it. Uh, You know, I'm going to... I must have blown it somehow. I'm going to put that. Leather on them, I'll tell you. Promise. No, I must have blown it. (laughs) I must have totally blown it. Anyway, it sounded lovely. It is, it is, you know, I had several questions about that piece of music, but okay, if that wasn't your music, it was lovely. Let's just jump on then. (laughs) You were telling us about confidence. You're really good at teaching confidence, and, and you say that's because we teach what we want to learn. I totally agree with that. Go on. No, no, I so I actually struggle with confidence, yeah, but right. but what I found that and I realized that there's a good chance because of all the work I've done, I still suffer from a lack of confidence. That what I realized that I needed to do is find a way to at least accept a lack of self confidence, because it was better to accept what is than to keep fighting with myself about it. And so what I realized is I started to look at people that were really confident, as I mentioned in the previous segment, and they have, they have what I was, thought was great was absolute certainty, but I realized when someone has absolute certainty, there are no, there's no entrance point in a way for new information, new insight. And you know that expression, the cracks are where the light comes in? There's no cracks. And it's through my cracks that I learn and I grow and I explore. And without that, 
without my lack of confidence, I wouldn't take the steps that I've taken. I wouldn't examine and explore and and realize the things I've realized if I had total confidence. So I was like, hey, that's kind of cool. That's a great thing about a lack of confidence. So, so that's the strategy that I've used with all the blockages. I have a lot of blockages, but for the most part, I just um, I find what's good about them. Sixty-four thousand dollar question. Oh boy! For all of our listeners out there, yeah, and especially I mean for those people who who may identify, may relate to where you are—not where you are, but where you were. Uh, what advice do you give them? What do you tell somebody who is feeling that they are worthless, that it doesn't matter, that nothing they do uh, is ever good enough, uh, and so forth? What What do you tell them? What, what well, is your secret? I don't know that this is a secret. I think it's um, it's something that people intuitively know, but... Um, I'll take a step back. In August, I'm I'm overweight. And in August, I thought, you know what? I'm going to create a program for myself to drop a few pounds. And and I love my Facebook community. So I thought, you know what? Maybe someone will want to share this journey with me. I'm thinking maybe 20 people. Maybe, you know, maybe as many as 100. But I'm thinking a small number. We'll support each other. And on this journey, because, you know, often, as you know, weight isn't just about dropping weight, there's often issues involved. So I, I opened up this program and said anyone could join it. I made some, some you know, MP3 journeys that people could could um, listen to. And now we've got like 4,000 people on this program. And it was, I offered it for free. I'm going to close it, close it pretty soon because there's a lot of people. But, but what happened was people started to drop weight, but more important, they started to share what was happening in their life with their husbands, their kids, their, you know, trying to get over addictions, their, their, you know, their lack of self-esteem. And in this sharing, there was so much healing. And, and I was amazed. It's like it totally morphed into something different than I'd originally planned. But the, the phenomenal, and they're almost, they look like, seem like miracles. They're not miracles, just natural laws. But the phenomenal change and transformation that came, I believe, came from being in a community, being with like-minded people that you could share and feel safe. And I think one of the keys is to have, to find people, and that's the great thing about Facebook, that's the great thing about the Internet, find people, find your peeps, because sometimes our families are not our peeps, you know, the people we work with are not our peeps. Find your peeps and find a place that's safe where you can communicate and share and talk and find out you're not alone and be supported and also support others, because sometimes where the healing comes is when we help others. Like that guy that, you know, I was on my way to kill myself, and I helped yeah, him, and I felt yeah. better. Yeah. You, so, you know, have you, I, I just have to ask you, because I think that's that's a marvelous uh, piece of advice. Have you, you ever given thought to creating uh, some portal on the Internet uh, for um, particularly, you know, young people who are ready to throw the towel in, uh, like you have with your weight loss? Uh, who may not have an angel sitting on a park bench uh, waiting to stop them just before they enter the water? Well, that's that's what this Facebook site has been, actually. It's called, I, I called it 
letting go step into the flow. And I meant to be like letting go of weight and stepping into the flow, but it turned out to be just letting go of those those things in life that are so hard to carry on your own and kind of stepping into the joy of life. So, so you so that invite is everybody to that, not just weight loss people. Yeah, I mean, I would say that weight loss people are probably one one thirtieth of the people that have arrived. That's cool. What, what but, is the um, site? What is what is it? Well, How it's it called get? Letting Go, Step Into the Flow. I am going to close. I mean, I I closed it. I opened it, and then we got like three thousand people in, and then I closed it because it was a lot. To, you know, a lot of people, and then I opened it up in January, and we'll probably close it up again just just to kind of keep the numbers a little down. But, but it's, it's open right now. So anybody that's right listening now, right now that go, may feel the need can go there. So this is a Facebook page. You can right? give the page again. It's called Letting Go, Step Into the Flow. And then in the files we have a workbook. It's a 28-day. It's got exercises for 28 days. Um, there's nine MP3 kind of reprogram your subconscious mind meditations that are all free. It's just it's my giveaway just because just be joyous. To share for what's working in my life. Your life story is an inspiration. And, uh, you know, there are lots of people out there who, well, they may not have suffered everything you have. They've suffered enough that uh, having assistance, having help, having a safe place to go, uh, they should do that. Let me ask you this, and I don't mean to step on your feelings in any way, shape, or form, but... I suppose the criminalist in me is obligated. Did you ever um, turn your father in? You know, in those days, you just didn't do it. You now, now kids are educated. Now, you know, kids. There's, you know, there's television shows. Teachers talk about it. But in those days, you just, you didn't. You know, you just didn't well, say Well, law anything. enforcement, the judiciary system is also wiser to those things. But if if someone were to be the victim of that today, you wouldn't encourage him to keep it secret, would you? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. I would say go to the authorities, get help. Because, that, you know, the, per- the perpetrator needs help, too. Not just the person, not just the victim. Yeah. Again, no. it's something I feel strongly about, you know, protecting kids. Okay, let me uh, go to some of the questions that are coming out of our chat room and then, uh, right this minute, and we're getting a lot, and they they all want the details. Uh, I could just summarize this. They all want the details of your NDE. So, you know, flesh that story out for us, please. I will. Um, <clears throat> I was conscious when I got to the hospital, and I... Who was it? A tremendous amount of pain, and I could remember. Remember, this is a tiny little town in Ohio, and I could re- remember that a, a tiny little, um, you know, hospital, and and people just didn't see people get shot, and I could hear people yelling, "She's been shot!" And, I, and with the noise and the bright, the lights were bright, and then suddenly everything got very dark, and the pain subsided. And I felt like I was inside of this soft black sphere or bubble. People say you were in the tunnel. You know, they talk about the tunnel. But And in this soft, velvety, almost blackness, suddenly it was like a bubble bursting. And there was this beautiful, beautiful light. And 
there was music, but that well, it didn't seem strange at all. It seemed normal, but this, the music and the light were not separate. They were the same thing, and and I can remember it, but I can't experience it because here, light and music and sound are separate, mm-hmm. and I didn't seem to be separate from the light and the music. I I was this light, and there was no there was no boundaries. The the light was everywhere. The music was everywhere, and I was everywhere, and it seemed so normal, and. And there was no, I remember trying to think about the past, and I couldn't physically do it. I could not physically think of the future or the past because it did not exist. And then the crazy thing was, it didn't seem crazy, it seemed normal, was that everybody was there, but we weren't separate from each other. We were individual. Like, how can you be individual but not separate? My myself here can't figure that out. But there, I was everybody, and everybody was me, and everything was me. And there was this sense, this feeling of this vast connected, and even connected sounds like two things are are separate but close. So it wasn't even connected. It was like oneness. I guess the only word that really describes it is is oneness. This, and it was familiar. That was home. And, you know, what's, what's been interesting recently, I've been starting to have flashbacks, but that's a whole other topic. But there was this river of light, and I knew if I could get across the river of light, I would never come back to my body. And I was really happy. And, and I, got, I, was stuck, I got into the river, and it's flowing on the other side of me. It's this beautiful, glowing, golden light. And then I, felt, I could see the far shore. I thought, okay, that's it. I'm almost really home. And then I felt like I got roped. And people say it was your astral cord. But, you know, I'm Cherokee Indian, Native American on my yeah. uh, mother's side. And my family was involved in rodeos. So I felt like, you know, my cousins practicing the roping on me as a kid. And I got dragged out of the river. And I heard a voice. And the voice said, it's not your time. There's some things you need to do. And uh, I got yanked back into my body. The, the doctors had... Um, that I died, and you know, I, someone I hadn't heard of since high school said that she, when she had heard about me getting shot, she went to the hospital and she said she was there when the doctor came out and said I died. And it's hard for me to to believe that a doctor would come out and say someone died, but you know, maybe it was a small hospital, maybe he did. But um, the the my body was really damaged. I mean, like I said, I'd lost so many organs and glands, but they said it was a miracle I'd lived. They said, um, but but she's not going to live long, and she'll be um, incapacitated for the short period of life she has. But I believe that on the other side, something was ignited, um, a healing force, if you will, because I began to see lights and auras and hear things other people didn't hear or see because I healed very quickly. I still don't have those glands or organs, but um, I, I was out of the hospital very quickly, and I was strong and healthy very quickly. So is you know, that that what you? I hope that's what you yep, wanted to find that out. That was the detail. That's what everybody wanted. They all wanted <laughs> to hear the detail. Yeah, I, I happen to be taking a course right now on neuroscience, a neuroscience ah. course that uh, deals with 
religion in the brain. And of course, as you're describing this, you know, the, the sense of oneness and the inability to distinguish, da, 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 I think, well, okay, that's a, the parietal lobe. And, uh, and you know, the, the interesting thing is, because I've had this conversation recently also with Ravinder. We are made in such a way that if you want to be a scientist, you can look at the body, you can look at the brain, and you can say, well, the reason she experienced this is we're not getting oxygen to the parietal lobe. Right. And the reason she's experiencing this is because we're not getting oxygen to the frontal lobe. So we, we, can, we can distinguish all of these things by knowing how or what what part of the brain processes them and how it processes them and so you kind of you can get a chicken and the egg kind of question you know you get that scientist that says well this is totally explained uh, by the way the brain is made uh, what's happening is maybe the brain is dying it's losing some oxygen and and you're having this experience blah 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 on the other hand if you think about, uh, you know, the prime mover, wh- whatever you're comfortable with, the grand organizing designer, if you think of a first principle that has created us, then wouldn't it make sense that we're created in such a way that we can apprehend that first principle? So, in other words, we would be created so there could be some channel of communication. I find that whole process really interesting. Has anyone ever approached you uh, about it that way and indicated, you know, uh, maybe you were experiencing oxygen deprivation, this wasn't a genuine experience, or has everyone just embraced it um, as you've told the story? You know, I've had both. I've had people who have had near-death experiences, and they say that, if you've gone through it, nothing nothing can change what you're you know the way you viewed it. Um, and I've had you know so they're they're completely on board with it. And I've had people who are scientists who said absolutely unconditionally that was just you know neural you know, neural firing in the brain. But um, but you know there were some um, substantive things that happened afterwards. One was the fact that I healed so quickly when no one could believe that someone with that amount of injuries could heal. But I also began to to um, sense things that other people didn't sense, and see things other people didn't see. And one of one of the um, and I began to see what they call energy. You know, now they call them um, Kirlian photography. You know, how and that's actually scientific Kirlian photography, or as of course, right? I know it is but, electrophotography. A friend right. of mine actually brought that technology back to the United States, and because he did so, the Russians signed a patent uh, treaty. So that was Carl Schleicher, a mankind research. I, I have I have one of those Kirlian cameras. What thirty years ago? Anyway, go on. You. Well, so so that is you know that's one of those things where what what is seemingly metaphysical actually has some physical basis with the Kirlian photography. And I think that's phenomenal that you were involved with that 30 years ago. Yeah. They, they so, use, I don't know if you know this, but they use electrophotography in the Soviet Union, at least they did, I imagine they still do, to diagnose and prognosticate the you know progress of a disease. I mean, um, I'll tell you something real quick, like if you I'd don't love mind. To hear. 
we uh, you know we set up an experiment once where I had a room that was dedicated to what you can think of as the evil, the dark side. You know, it had uh, weapons that had been used in crimes and uh, you know satanic material in it. And and I had another room that had you know uh, those um, things that we associate with Christian worship, crosses and yeah. a statue of Jesus, etc. We would put people in the room, and they wouldn't know. You know, I mean, the room for all intent and purposes was just a holding room. We right. would take a pre and post. Uh, curly and photograph of their thumb. This was a small camera that would take something like a, an right. integer. It wouldn't take the whole body. Of right, it. right. And then we would compare, you know, the pre and the post. You could, you could take that photograph, and you're really looking at the bioplasma. You could take the photograph before they entered the room with the worship material. And then after, you would see that that bioplasma, that discharge, uh, corona discharge as it's called, was had expanded and yeah. was very geometric. But on the contrast, or to the contrast, when you put them in the other room and you did the pre and the post, you had a contraction. Uh, yeah. Yeah, and, and, and of course there are, you know, sociological... Uh, psychological potential explanations for that, but I found it, it it's a very interesting kind of thing. Let me ask you this. Wait, wait, do you have those, do you have those photographs on your website? That sounds fascinating. No, you know, I don't, but I have them somewhere in a file. We've, we've played with that in the, I don't see, are they in the, Isn't it in Thinking Without Thinking? Uh, the original thinking without thinking, I think it is. The original ah. thinking without thinking, which is online. It, you, you know, can buy a hard copy of it at Amazon, but it's over $500. It's out of print. Uh, and I don't think you want to do that. You can get the, it's a, an online version of thinking without thinking. It's on our website, isn't it? It's a downloadable version. Yeah. Color, et cetera. Yeah. Okay. It so, is. all right. Yeah. Anyway, let me ask you this. Yeah. Miracle baby. Tell me about the miracle baby. Miracle babies are our daughter Meadow, and I had been told by um, doctors that well, you you somehow lived. We don't know how. You're somehow alive. We don't know how, but never have a child because if you have a child, it will kill you. And they gave me all the reasons why it would kill me. So um, I got pregnant, and I thought, you know, uh, it, it was kind of <laughs> I. I had actually kind of believed the doctors, because if you have a lot of doctors say you never could have a child or it will kill you, um, you kind of start to, to, I don't know, what's that called, buy into it. But um, we had what, I don't know how else to explain it. We had a UFO experience. One night, late at night, we're driving down the California coast, and um, I I won't go into details, but it it was a pretty intense, major ufo experience and my husband is a very practical guy because if i say we had a ufo experience people go yeah right you did well but then when i say but david was there too they go oh must have been real (laughs) quick though we're running out of time but anyway make long story short so because i saw this uh because we saw this ufo i thought when i was got pregnant the next morning i knew i should have that baby i didn't see any doctors at all until i was um nine over nine months pregnant and i just did visualizations in our journeys and um we had the baby so that's the short version <laughs> that's an incredible story uh, once again you know a test to uh 
Well, I'll, I'll leave that to our listening audience. You Do you have this story of the UFO on your website? I, no, I've got it in my book, um, If I Can Forgive, So Can You. Or, yeah. and, and I don't think, I, don't, I didn't really believe in UFOs necessarily until I had that experience. So I don't um, have and, that book. You're going to have to send me a signed copy of that. I book. will absolutely, I have to make a note of it. Remember, All right, but. you do that. Now, in in one minute, in less than a minute, about 45 seconds, tell our audience how they can learn more about you, because uh, they, they're all going to want to. <laughs> uh, my website, DeniseLynn.com, and also, I love my Facebook community. So I'm just Denise, not just, I am Denise Lynn on Facebook. That's, and, and you are Denise Lynn, and I love every bit of it. Uh, I really appreciate you joining us today. You have just a, a spontaneousness about you, the spontaneity, I'll get that word conjugated correctly, that is, that is electric and, and an energy that is just contagious. Uh, thank you very much for joining us, Denise. Thank and you I so hope- much, and thank you to all your wonderful listeners. And it's been an honor and a joy to be with you, and both of you. Well, thank you again. And remember my book. All right, we've come to the end of another episode of Provocative Enlightenment. I want to thank our guest once again and all of you for joining us today. I hope you enjoyed our show, and we'll join us again next week, same time and same place, and tell your friends. Let's have them join us as well. And remember, if you have comments on our show, do please let us know. Okay, until next time, wherever you are in the world, remember... Believing in yourself always matters. Provocative Enlightenment has been brought to you by Progressive Awareness Research and other sponsors. Provocative Enlightenment is a syndicated show and appears on other networks. For a schedule of showtimes, visit ProvocativeEnlightenment.com. If you're interested in becoming a sponsor, write to Eldon at EldonTaylor.com. Mm-hmm.